0: You are now tuning in to the Own the Build podcast. Join C-Link's very own Paul Hemming, where each week he interviews experts from the world of construction and asks all the important questions around intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode sixty. Three of the Own the Build Podcast with me, Paul Hemming. Today's show is a unique show in many respects. The title of it is Data Literacy and Blockchain Technology in Construction. And we're joined by James Garner, who is Senior Director and Global Head of Data and Insights and Analytics at Gleeds, who I think everyone knows, but they're a leading global property and construction consultancy. Welcome to the show, James. How are you doing?
1: Thank you very much, Paul, and I'm, I'm very glad to be on the show. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Oh, it's good to have you on the show, James. I mean, that's quite the uh, mouthful of a title you've got there. Senior Director and Global Head of Data and Insights and Analytics. You must be a busy man.
1: Well, yeah, it's certainly uh... a... <laughs> A lot to do, but um, I think the the title probably is a is a bit of a mouthful, but in reality it's two separate parts, there's the data side and then there's the insight and analytics, which is one. So we probably need to lose a few ands somewhere along the
0: line. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I <laughs> like it, I like it. And I'm actually really excited to have a chat with you today, James, because in our business here at C Link, data is something that we're exploring more and more, we're using it more and more to improve the procurement software product that we have, like the analytics around it, understand what is going on and who is doing certain activities. And we're we're harnessing it to great effect. And I'd like to learn more about what the rest of the industry is doing with data. No better person to speak to than yourself, James. So I'm excited to do just that. For everybody listening, could you just tell us a little bit about you, your experience and kind of how you ended up where you are today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, it's it's a good question because obviously I started my career off as a as a humble QS, and uh, I start- were
0: you humble? Because um, many QSs aren't. <laughs>
1: Well, I am you like that. to think you're humble, but that's probably the test that you weren't by saying that you weren't <laughs> humble. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's the, that was the start of my career. I, I sort of went to university chartered, and then I, I joined Gleeds as my first. I, I did a short stint for a, a construction company, a concrete frame company. And then I've been with Gleads, uh for um, pretty much the rest of my career. And it's been a great experience because, as I said, starting off as a, a surveyor, I always had an uh a taste for and an appreciation for technology and data and in fact the, my dissertation back in my university days going way way back to around the year 2000 was on it and data in, in the construction industry so in a lot of ways it feels like i've returned home but in that intermediate period i, I have gone on to uh I've been very lucky in my career to do lots of really exciting projects as a QS. I've worked in in, in the London market doing commercial and residential projects. And then for the majority of my career as a QS, I was in the education sector and worked a lot in Oxford, working with the Oxford colleges and worked for a lot of universities around the UK. And all that has given me a really good grounding, like a good domain grounding. And I'm glad I didn't go straight into the data IT side of things because I think having that kind of domain understanding and especially with our industry because it is it is so peculiar in a lot of ways and so fragmented Um,
0: everyone tells me that every single week you know our industry is peculiar it is isn't it it is i
1: i suppose everyone will say that about their industry but i do think it is unique in that how many other industries has has this situation where you get some incredibly intelligent clever creative people together to form a relationship form a team produce something for a year 18 months two years three years and then you all go your separate ways again Uh, it's you know and we and then and then start the process again so it is it makes it unique in in that way but it also gives us a huge opportunity to become more efficient because that is drives some of the inherent inefficiencies in our industry and that's why i've always been really interested going all the way back to my days at university and how can we make this industry better i think we all know that it could be better and there's a lot of scope for change and data's data is a a huge part of that it because by its very nature construction project has a heck of a lot of data come out the back of it you know whether that's to do with variations cost program lessons learned you know design data and the, the reality is at the moment we just chuck away most of it
0: yeah well i have to say i have to say in um preparing for this episode talking to you before one piece of data really really stuck out to me, James, that I, I, I saw from some of the research and data around the industry at the moment. I think it was by uh, the project data analytics community. And it, it didn't surprise me, but it did surprise me. So from a survey of 12,000 major projects, only 0.5% of them managed to finish on time and within budget and like I said that did not surprise me in some ways but at the same time I thought how can it be that bad you go into a project with a point five percent shot at effectively doing it on time and budget
1: I mean I'm, I'm familiar with that stat because I'm, I'm a member of that community and I think I, I think the actual stat is for that is projects that finish on time, on budget, and onto the desired benefits. And that's the bit that we often miss because I think the the stat for on time and on budget is is higher than that, but still pretty appalling. But when you take into account on benefits, which means have we achieved the client's benefits that they wanted to achieve at the outset, that's where you get that absolutely hopeless stat because what happens is through a construction project is to achieve the first two, the budget and construction, the one that keeps getting compromised is the benefits. So you end up with a project, maybe it's even on time and on budget, but you've compromised the it's benefits It's half so of what,
0: much, you, what you wanted initially. It's half what you want. Okay, and, that's cool.
1: And we've got, yeah, we've got to break that cycle. And the, you, you mentioned the Project Data Analytics community and they're a really important community. The stuff that they're doing is... Groundbreaking in a lot of ways. And for anyone who's interested in data in any way, shape, or form, I would encourage you to join the community. Uh, you can find them online. They do a load of great events, meetups, I think fortnightly, and they do hackathons where you get some really clever people uh, who aren't even in the industry.
0: Yeah, we've got to talk about hackathons a bit later, actually, James. So I'm interested to talk more about that. But I understand it that you are kind of responsible for driving gleads thought leadership publications and moving like data driven trans and like leading the data driven transformation effectively so could you describe first and foremost why it is something that you are passionate about you've touched on it a bit but what from minute one of thinking about construction and doing your dissertation this was something on your mind why
1: so there's two parts to that. There's the thought leadership and market research, and then and then there's the data-driven transformation. So the the thought leadership and market research we we've always done as one of the the, the bigger companies, but I've always seen room for improvement, not just with us but throughout the industry, because the market research and the intelligence and thought leadership is is one of our most important commodities because especially moving forward because as we become more automated in what we do actually what our clients paying for they're, they're paying for that intelligence so i've been a great advocate within Gleeds of this is a really important function and it's not just a back office function it's front and center and Gleeds have understood that and they, they've Embraced what we're trying to do with what the INA part of my title, the insight and analytics, which is to globalise it. Because for for a few reasons: number one, Gleeds is a, a global company. Number two, we've got global clients who really want to understand the landscape around the around the world, not just in one region. And and, and number three, um, it, it, it's it's our uh, as I said, it's our commodity. It's that it's the way we can differentiate what we do to have our finger on the pulse of what's going on so we've always had INA departments throughout the world so for instance we've UA, the UK's always been quite mature but we've always had other regions such as Egypt doing really good thought leadership and market research but what we're trying to do is bring that together into a globalized system so we've now got a global research board where we collaborate and that has been incredible I've met some brilliant people incredibly clever people, but the synergy involved is huge. So to take, obviously, you've got different regions that have their own unique issues that are going on at any given time. For instance, the devaluation of the pound in Egypt is an an example at the moment, but there's global issues like COVID is a good example that impacts everyone. So a client will will want to know how that is impacting them throughout the world. So the globalization of the INA and the thought leadership is really important and thought leadership as well. If you deal with the topic, we're going to talk about blockchain later. Well, that's not a UK only thing. That's a, that's a global topic that we've got to understand. So it's a natural progression of what we've done is to and, and it's a real selling point for Gleeds because we do have this incredible global reputation and global presence to we're actually just utilizing what we've got. And uh, bringing it together has been a, a really rewarding part of my of, of job.
0: And you're responsible for pooling the global data, the global insight, the global thought leadership together for Gleeds and outwardly present it to the world and to the industry effectively is that right
1: yeah so but what i would say is you know within each of the regions i've got some incredibly clever people doing all the hard work my 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 you're you're just putting it out there yeah exactly but (laughs) that's cool that's good it's cool and uh, but i really want to make that point it's not like i've come in and had to start something from scratch the the constituent parts were all there and doing a brilliant job already but it was just bringing it together under a common kind of brand if you like so that's the ina side and that's really exciting. the data side and the data-driven change is one of our key drivers for digital transformation because people talk about digital transformation and they see it as a means to an end but actually what you've got to look at it more is how do you what's the point of of digitally transforming and a big part of digitally transforming is being able to harness the data because if you're digitizing processes then inevitably you're going to be able to harness a lot more data from those processes. So it, similar to the INA, what we've got is a lot of offices all around the world, great presence, but they've all matured at different rates. So that means there's you know, different infrastructures. So what we want to do is bring all our data into a central place, again, for that very same reason that if we've got all the data centrally located, then we can derive insights from that. And this is why data and INA go together, because a lot of people say, well, they're two separate things. Well. They are and they aren't. They are in that, they, there's two different uh, outputs, but the, the reality is the data feeds the insights. So by, by having a, a good data infrastructure, and a good data platform, you're able to create incredible products for clients and, and and internally to help your surveyors become more efficient and you're able to arrive better data-driven insights and analytics. So. It's, it's incredibly important and the industry as a whole is only starting to get a handle on it and i, I see myself with two hats i've got that the kind of the, the Gleeds hat which is really important but then I, I i always look at myself as how can i help the industry and when i say the industry then you're obviously helping economies uh wider so The construction industry, I'm I'm a big advocate for the RICS. I sit on uh, a number of their their boards, their construction advisory boards. I sit on the uh, TPI panel. And what I realise is that we have to share data, and a lot of people get quite scared when you say that because you think, "Well, data is my asset." It's Particularly mine.
0: in construction, right? Right. Yeah,
1: yeah, because because we're a paranoid bunch, and we we all think that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. especially S Q S. Well, you know, it's the, the very nature of claims and conflicts. You, you know, you think everyone's exactly yeah had to get you, but we got to get past that thinking because if you look at other industries, the one the ones that have been successful with data transformation if you if you look at banking or insurance they share data it doesn't mean you give you there's a difference between sharing data. commercial
0: data away
1: yeah, yeah there's a difference between sharing your data and giving your data away so we we were talking about the the project data analytics community there's also another body that's been set up called the construction data trust and they've got some big players involved in it there's a calpine There's a Jacobs, uh, we're involved in it. And the whole idea of a data trust and the concept of a data trust is very prevalent in other industries. But we we get quite scared of it. And the idea is is you pull your data to get better outcomes. That doesn't mean you're giving your data away. You're basically feeding your data into an algorithm to enable the algorithm to be more accurate. And the reason why it's important for construction is we're not like banking. Let's say we were Santander. We could say, well, we don't need everyone else's data because we've got however many million transactions going on every second. If you took every single project in the UK going on, it's not that many. Right, We're not talking millions.
0: And they're all different types. Yeah. They're all in different locations. It's all different builds, isn't it? Yeah, no, that, that, that completely makes sense. And so data literacy, to you, James, is a phrase that sounds... It's probably in your everyday language, right? Data literacy. So we're going to talk about data literacy first and foremost, and then talk about blockchain technology later. What is in layman's terms, data literacy.
1: In layman's terms, it's just understanding data and understanding how to utilize data. And it doesn't it doesn't mean being a computer scientist or a data scientist, which a lot of people get scared by. And actually a lot of us are really data literate. If you know, if, if you're QS out there or PM, you have probably got some people, if not you, you probably know people who are really good with Excel and understand macros. Well, they're, they're, they're really data literate, right? Because they're, they're pushing the boundaries. And Excel, like people laugh at Excel, but it is a good tool for exploring data. And even data scientists use Excel at the early stage. So We shouldn't be scared of data literacy, but the way that I use it is the word improving data literacy. We've all got a degree of data literacy, but to move ourselves from the current as-is situation to where we want to be, which is advancing the industry and improving the efficiency of the industry, we we need to move to the next level. And the way I look at it is if you go back to say 1985 and you thought about uh, Excel, you'd have a bunch of people thinking that that was pie in the sky and it was well out of their reach, right? And and if you, if you said to surveyors then, maybe go back to the early 80s, all your surveys will have to have a very, very good understanding of how to use Microsoft Excel. They'd be just scratching their head going, what is Microsoft Excel?
0: now? My first boss definitely would.
1: Right, there you go. So, so, and now it's a given. You know, you don't even, if you can't use Excel, you, you're not going to be a QA. So,
0: Forget yeah? it. Yeah, you're not welcome. Yet. So
1: you've got to look at right, what's happening now. So you're now, micro, you take Microsoft as, as an example. Sta- they've got new tools. They've got Power BI. A lot of people have heard that. They've got Power Apps. They've got Power Automate they use teams properly not just as a um, kind of communication tool and what's going to happen is those tools the reason they develop power bi is as a direct replacement for excel because if you look at the two they've got power Query built into the both of them and what they're doing is is slowly transitioning people over to power power bi so that we can visualize our data explore our data transform our data to actually use it better so when I talk about data literacy, it's preparing us for the next evolution in tools and making sure that surveyors and project managers don't think that this is something for someone else. That they, if you've got any interest in it, you should be upskilling yourself as part of your job role. And so when I talk about in Gleeds, we've launched the Gleeds Data Academy. We're saying to people, look, we can help you improve your skills. And there's a few ways we do it, from very basic kind of lunch lunchtime seminars, just to make people understand what these tools are, to one-day courses where we kind of talk more about the concepts. And then for people who are interested, that we, we actually use uh, the apprenticeship scheme to put them through a, a 15-month pro- project data analytics course, which is powered by a, a company called Projecting Success. And we've got about, 15 people going through the course so far. And in, in that course, you learn how to use Power BI. Well, you lo- First of all, you learn how to use Excel properly. That's the first module. You learn how to use Excel, you learn how to use Power BI, you learn how to use Power Automate, you learn how to use databases properly, so SQL and things like that. You learn how to use a little bit of Python.
0: I guess what I'm interested to understand though is data literacy specific to construction when they go when you you're sending these guys into the data academy and we've got lots of people here will be listening and maybe thinking this all feels a little bit abstract and trying to piece it together what data are you pursuing what data are you collating what are you what are you trying to review effectively
1: yeah okay that's a really good question and so it can be we're not trying to change the data that we're using. It's the, the typical data we get out of projects. So it'll be it, it can be anything from cost data to variation data, program data, RFI data, lessons learned data. So it's not or risk registers is another good one. You know any data or or tables we use in Excel currently, you can use better. That's that's the bottom line. And you can use project data analytics and data literacy to get better use of that data. So I'll give you some examples. So rather than just using Excel to create a benchmarking report, we all know what a benchmarking report is, you can actually feed that into say Power BI and attach some queries to it so that you can automatically update it to the latest indices. You can link it to the BCIS indices for instance, and you can visualize the data in real time and you can um, you can interact with it. So it's not just a static graph saying here's five projects, here's the average, and this is where your project sits. You can actually delve into it through the data. Another example is lifecycle costing. So you can develop a tool whereby you can ingest the cost plan into data analytics and produce a lifecycle calculation directly from the cost plan. So you're not having to repeat uh, an exercise. Another example is the use of rates. So all of us QSs gets tons and tons of rates coming in um, from tender returns. Again, they probably sit in a drawer somewhere or, or on a file, uh, Excel file. You can use data analytics to pull that into a database and then be able to query that database to understand um, what you're spending on dry lining so yeah, that makes perfect so sense. i think you know it, it's a, i'm glad you raised the question because if it, it, it's, it shouldn't be abstract what we're talking about here is we're not changing what we do we're augmenting what we do as qs's or project managers or whatever discipline you are we're augmenting it and making our job easier by using p- project data analytics
0: that makes that makes perfect sense and i would like to drill down a little bit more into that but we'll just take a little bit of a break here now james Hello, it's me again. I wanted to share a quick story with you on why I co-founded c with my best mate, Chris. Chris and I, we're both QS's, and this is going to sound sad, but one night, we were sat in the pub talking about subcontract tendering, and we realized the industry had a problem. Number one, procurement was too paper-based. Number two, it was too time-consuming, and every QS had their own unique way of doing things. And number three, perhaps most importantly, If you want to competitively tender, you need to know hundreds of the best subcontractors. We simply didn't. That's why we created C-Link. It's software to solve subcontract tendering. We wanted to remove these challenges and help the industry get better. So if you or someone you know tenders with subcontractors, you've got to see our software. Head over to our link www.get.c-link.com forward slash podcast to find out more. I will include it in the description box, so again, there's no excuses. Now, let's get right back to the show. So, James, really good introduction to what it is you guys do. What I would like to try and picture, if you like, because... I'm now in a business where we're looking at data and doing lots of different things with data. You're in one where you're doing exactly exactly the same thing. We're both in construction, but you probably can't quite picture what I'm doing and vice versa. So I want to try and give the listeners, some of who may be, for example, a main contractor, maybe a relatively small main contractor, I would like to get your advice really on your using data to power the future of Gleeds and the future of the industry, which is phenomenal. It's great. I can totally understand that. What would your advice be to a main contractor? Maybe they haven't got the huge, the biggest, there's not McAlpines, for instance, with a huge resource. What would your advice be to use data? How would they do it and why should they do it?
1: first thing I would say is don't be scared. So you, if you're a main contractor, you might have heard horror stories about millions of pounds spent on failed data projects. And the reason I'd say... And that's probably true. There probably is lots of examples of that. But I think the landscape has changed, especially in the last few years. You've now got tools available to you that you don't have to go what I call all in straight away. You can do things in steps. And the fact that you've got people like Microsoft, as I say, entering the market with these tools, that what I call low-code tools, you don't need to bring in very expensive developers. You can go slowly, slowly approach, means that you don't need to be scared. That's number one. Number two... If you are a main contractor remember you are generating tons of data anyway so yeah. you know you are
0: endless reams of yeah. the stuff
1: because when we talk about data, it could be anything and even if it's just a handwritten log of stuff like that's got that is still data so the fact is you are already collecting data so the question shouldn't be should i collect data it should be well what can i do with the data i collect that's the real question and what what you've got to start thinking about is with the end in mind so You've got, to th- you've got to think about what problem am I trying to solve here so if you're our main contractor you might say well I want to improve my reporting so you work from backwards from that so well what would that look like oh, well you could say well I'd like a dashboard that shows me you know what uh, project health is uh, or, or in real time and you work back from that and say well what data do I need to produce that report and you'll find you're really collecting 90 percent of the data, but you could then move to struct. It's all about structuring the data. I call it contextualizing the data. So you may be collecting a load of data, but it just sits on an Excel file somewhere without any context to it. So if you're working with the end in mind, means that you can say, right, I know I need this data. Let's say I need to know the variations. And you put it into a format that, can link directly to that visualization so that you're not repeating process. You're doing the cleaning as the data's coming in. So the next logical step is you start saying well to surveyors, I don't want you doing your reports in random Excel files. I want you to do your reports using this standard template or uh, this app that I've developed in Power Apps. And and then you all that data then goes into a central format. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you're generating tons of data that makes
0: so much sense james because i'll tell you why that resonates with me now because we're a software business at ceiling we collect masses and masses and masses of data about what people are spending their money on on their projects and until recently we didn't present it in a format that made it easy to understand in fact, we barely presented it right Now we've started presenting it, and we have all of this incredible information, for example, like the average time to do a an m and e tender, the average time to do this how it's just data that can then be used to educate us as a business and educate our clients and just improve the whole industry and anyone who's doing their projects with us so that's what I was trying to get at in my in the first half I was trying to picture exactly how you could use it as a main contractor, but you do if you're your example of reports right you're probably keeping a site diary you're probably doing a weekly or a monthly report and collating a lot of data it's just probably on either a word or excel file that is then going nowhere whereas it could be going into some kind of relatively simple dashboard i guess where you could everyone could log in and see wow that's where the project is at Right now and there's the other projects and then you start to pull the data that way it makes perfect sense to me and and,
1: and that's not difficult you know there's to a lot of people in the data world that will be like almost backwards because there'll be other industries who've been doing that for years but we've got to realize where we are as an industry and we shouldn't jump ahead too far we can talk about ai and machine learning yes that's going to come but let's get the basics right first and there's no reason for a small main contractor to start utilizing the tools because what that leads to it's actually nothing to do with data. Well, it, it is in the, that's the currency, but it leads to data-driven decisions. Because at the at the moment, what you've got is a bunch of, in the, in the construction industry, a bunch of people who sit around a table arguing about what's real or, or what's not. And yeah, on hunches that, or experience. Or hunches, yeah, guesses. Yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. My experiences. But w- when you've got the data to back it up, you, you cut through all that. You cut through it and you get to the crux of the issue and then you can do something about it. And it it always reminds me of that famous saying, which I'm I'm sure you heard, without data, you're just another opinion. And I I think that's where we are in the industry. At the moment, you've got a bunch of people sitting around the the table with loads of different opinions. Building
0: programs off my experience on these projects was it takes four weeks to do that activity when you could be looking at data says no, it doesn't, it takes five or it takes 10 or it takes two. Yeah. Right, based on the data of the activity that you've been pooling, it makes so much sense. To me. On, often in these shows, James, I have the penny drop kind of moment. And again, this is, this is another one of those where, because I'm, like I say, there's an experience in my own business right now, but so much data is collected and thrown away effectively or just put in a metaphorical folder in an archive room and lost when we're then on the next project or we're working on two projects at one time, just
1: repeating the same mistakes. Over... Absolutely,
0: yeah, and it's um, interesting. So your, your advice to a, to a main contractor would be think about something that is a challenge to you right now. Think about what your end desire is, i.e. what you would like to uh, be reporting on and analysing in terms of the data, and then maybe focus on building a small data hub for that thing start to feel the benefit of it and then think about your next thing whether it's variations or or whatever
1: yeah and get some clever people get some you know maybe some of your young grads get them get them trained up get them on the data literacy course and say to them this is my problem solve it you'll be amazed at what these guys can do because you've got to remember a lot of people coming out of natural curriculum have done computer science at school and they, they even understand a bit of python so you trust them trust you know we we, we we we've just been repeating the same mistake over and over again for decades so trust some of these clever kids coming through
0: i think you really that's that's really really true and i want to go back to something that you now said now i've got a bit more clarity something that you said in the first half where you kind of said we had created incredible products out of the the back of data is there something where you think that is a tool which we now use as a business or which we use as a sector which is off the back of data insight and analytics
1: what, you talk, you talk about third party tools or you talk about stuff that we built ourselves? Either. So, I mean, it, 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 it's a good question because what what we don't want to do, there, there's tons and tons of new products coming onto the market all the time. The investment in con, construction tech is at an all time high and it's growing exponentially. So you have got literally products entering the market every day, trying to solve every single problem. Um, and it's what a, I describe it as the wild west at the moment trying to work out what's out there. There's no way you could even keep up with every single product out there. And we're going to go through this transition period where these these companies will start merging with each other and inevitably start getting bought out by the big players, the Autodesk, the Microsofts of this world. But there are already some frontrunners emerging, you know, and you, you can see Link
0: C- got to be one of them, hasn't it? Well,
1: exactly. Of course, <laughs> you've got, but you've got people like um, you, you heard about N Plan who are yeah. the AI related. Uh, we had them on the show actually. Yeah. We had Dev
0: yep. the Dev. on the show. So, yeah,
1: he's and he, uh, he's a, and he's another member of the Project Data Analytics community. Now, you know, they they've had investment from Google. Now, to me, that is a milestone in the construction industry because. The, the giants are waking up to this they, they've exhausted other industries and they can see the one that's untapped is con, is construction so you, I know Autodesk are also doing the same thing and Microsoft can obviously see it and then the other one that's been invested into massively recently is build dots using AI technology to to uh, sort of do site walkthroughs and progress r- reviews so what what you're going to see is a lot of consolidation I think over the next 10 decades and some front runners emerge but at the moment, what we're we are being a little bit technology agnostic in that we don't want to dictate to all the regions uh, around the world what tools, third party tools you should and shouldn't use, because the reality is Egypt will have a different requirement from the UK, will have a different requirement from the USA. So we don't want to be we wanna be we might have a preferred but we, we, we don't want to say necessarily that's the only thing you can use. But what we do want is some standards to go with them, because actually what we're interested in from those products is not necessarily the product itself. It's the data that flows from it. So um, by setting up the pipelines to make sure that the data comes into a central location, you can ensure that you are um, harvesting that data and you've got you've got the ability to do. Good analytics with, with that data, because the fear is otherwise we've gone from this state in the construction industry where everything was kept on local server. to now we're using more and more third party tools, which means that our data, even though we're generating loads of data, it's sitting on loads of third party clouds all around the world and we're losing control. You know, and so when I come to the Construction Data Trust, uh, talk about that again. It's, there's no reason why the Construction Data Trust shouldn't be able to get a pipeline to some of these third party tools where they're the leaders in the industry. Not to use the data and give it out to anyone else, but just to use that data to derive some algorithms so that they we can use it as an industry to, to make our clients better informed.
0: Yeah. No, that, that, that makes sense. James, I feel like I could talk to you for a long time about data <laughs> literacy. I think, think there's a lot yeah, to, there's a lot to unpack. No, not at all, not at all. But we did say, and we're running out of time on the show, so we did say that So the title of the show was going to be, or is, Data Literacy and Blockchain Technology in Construction. Now, I know that you want to talk all about Bitcoin. I'm only joking. But we we're going to talk about blockchain, blockchain technology briefly. I saw you were recently involved in some work research, if you like, around blockchain technology or distributed ledger technology, DLT. Could you talk about this? And I, can, I can't see my producer, Umar, at the moment, but I know that he is salivating at the thought of this part of the conversation. He'll be excited by this.
1: It might be a big letdown then, because uh, <laughs> I'm going to say that there's not a huge amount to talk about at the moment, in, in insofar as... I think this is one for the future. So as part of my role and I working with English, it's also looking, we're looking at what can we do right now, which is the stuff like the dashboards and, you know, and then we're looking at what's coming in the future, like the AI and the machine learning. That's like the near future. And then you're looking at, you know, what's around what's round the corner. So that's when things like blockchain or dispute ledger technology and and metaverse and things like that all come into play because all these technologies are here to stay. And we're at the very early Days of them, but we need to understand how they're going to affect our industry. So we have done some research into distributed ledger technology because, to, to me, it is an obvious opportunity for the industry in a number of ways so you know as qs's we deal with finance and one of the big things that we argue about as contractors qs's and consult qs's is is often process and value. Oh, don't and
0: value. get me started on consulting qs's
1: <laughs> <laughs> well so you know you could blockchain a distributed ledger would just put all that to bed because everything will be done through the blockchain and i think there's a huge opportunity for construction contracts to utilize blockchain because if you take the nec for example it probably is a better example than JCT although it could also equally work for JCT the reality is that they're all processes right it's all especially the NEC it's all time frames it's all around you shall do this by this day otherwise this will happen and that's perfect for blockchain you know you can put you, so I wouldn't be surprised at all if in the next decade or so you know those big contract. Uh, consortium start transferring to blockchain, but then I think also for you know financial reporting and the way that we um report on program i mean everything we do where it involves data in theory could utilize distribution logistics data. like yeah.
0: site deliveries like it, like it's never ending my My mind starts racing when you start thinking about it, and like you say it would put to bed so many of the not even disputes, obviously the disputes but just the day-to-day debate and argument that you have over over things unnecessarily yeah i think
1: i I think there's some work to do before we get there because the contracts particularly jct and it reminds me a bit of smm because uh, there's a parallel here because jct was obviously written many many years ago i can't remember when the first version came out but it was you know at least 16 70 years ago and so that language they never wrote that with a thought about this could be put into blockchain technology, and even though it's been changed and modified, and we're at um, the latest version, it's still based on very legalistic language of, of the time. So it would probably need to, you'd probably need to modify it as well, which is similar to where we are with SMM and NRM, because NRM is the follow-up to SMM. Now, SMM, those were all written really as ways to get a standard way. To, for contractors to price buildings, but and, and it works really well for that. You know, it's been working for decades for that. But it's not great for computer science because it doesn't really contextualize the data enough. And it's similar issue with blockchain. I I don't think you could just do it out of the box tomorrow. If somebody came along, if if JCT tomorrow said, well, we're going to create a blockchain version, they couldn't say, well, we will just we'll, we'll put it into code and it's done. No, I, think I guess the yeah, it take some work.
0: The, the question being, are these institutions forward-thinking enough to to take that step, which I think is a question I often think about in my mind. But I have only got one more question for you now, James. So obviously, I I know this with my business, but content investment is at all-time high, as you said. So there is so much money going into construction technology now. There's so many people putting in new ideas, good ideas. It's a pivotal decade as I see it for construction and how things are going to develop how do you think the industry is going to be different 10 years from now and, so,
1: and that was actually the title of my dissertation back in 2000 well okay yeah so in 2000
0: how, how did you uh, think it was going to be <laughs>
1: well and, and and the reason why i'm laughing is because i keep saying to myself i need to do a follow-up and uh maybe i will <laughs> come you know, on if, if i ever get the, the this is the pre I, I i can i can feel a book coming out but uh and, and actually, I did skim through those, what, what I talked about then, and it was all around common data and environments. It was all around, you know, the use of data, more in construction. It was all around using electronic drawings, you know, because that's where we were. And a lot of what what I talked about have, has come to pass because it's not rocket science, you know. I'm not calling myself a genius for predicting that. It's obvious. And I think it's similarly obvious where things are going to go. It, it just takes a bit of think think, because the the problem there was another great quote i think it was steve jobs in that you know things happen over a long period of time a lot more happens over a long period of time than you you think and a lot less happens in a short period of time than you think and i think that's true so people look look now and think well 10 years and they kind of look at it in a frame of well what what am i going to achieve in the next week but in reality 10 years is a long time and i think in 10 years time we're going to be in, in in a state where we've got Um, the the BIM issue properly sorted where we've got generative design we've got artificial intelligence filling in the white gaps that the quants can't take off so that clients are dealing with data has become the main state of construction projects and the whole project controls issue is becoming more important and I think you'll see a shift away A a difference in emphasis on the project manager and the QS roles towards what I talked about at the beginning, more dealing with insights um, from the data rather than arguing about opinions. And I'd like to see a place where the efficiency has increased hugely.
0: Tenfold. Tenfold,
1: because we've actually started utilizing data but uh, i'm i'm really really optimistic about what the future holds and we have to do it because if you look at the challenges facing the industry now which is all around material prices price escalation labor issues well you know digitization data and becoming more efficient is a huge way of solving those problems so we have to do it
0: james you are a fascinating individual sadly that is all the time that we have today it's been such a pleasure to have you on the show i am going to be nice putting. For me. no absolutely my pleasure the pleasure is all mine james and i'm going to be putting james's details including his linkedin where i'd love you guys to come and follow him in the podcast description james i hope you have a wonderful holiday i know this is your third time of asking because of covid to get away so i'm hoping you have a great holiday next week fingers
1: crossed thanks thanks a lot Paul
0: no thank you so much for coming on the show James and guys I'm going to ask you again because I'm a bit like this if you could leave us a review if you like what we're doing that would be absolutely wonderful and also we have just launched the Own the Build YouTube channel and our sister company has also joined School of Sub YouTube channel for subcontractors go check them out give it a bit of follow let us know what you think I will speak to you next week have a good one thank you very much